Um, hi everyone, my name's Louisa and I'll be reading the second Bible reading uh, which comes from Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1 to 20 verse 6. You can find this on page 732 of your Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian, brother will fight against brother, neighbor against neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. The Egyptians will lose heart and I will bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I will hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The waters of the river will dry up, and the river bed will be parched and dry. The canals will stink. The streams of Egypt will dwindle and dry up. The reeds and the rushes will wither, also the plants along the Nile at the mouth of the river. Every stone field along the Nile will become parched, will blow away and be no more. The fishermen will groan and lament. All who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with combed flax will despair. The weavers of fine linen will, will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected and all the wage earners will be sick at heart. The officials of Zoan are nothing but fools. The wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise men, a disciple of the ancient kings. Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan have become fools. The leaders of Memphis are deceived. The cornerstones of her peoples have led Egypt astray. The Lord has poured into them a spirit of dizziness. They make Egypt stagger in all that she does as a drunkard staggers around in his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm, branch or reed. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women. They will shudder with the fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. And the land of Judah will bring terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom Judah is mentioned will be terrified because of what the Lord Almighty is planning against them. In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. One of them will be called the City of Destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a saviour and a defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship him, they will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, the Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, 
along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. In that year, in the year that the supreme commander, sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, Take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from your feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot for three years, as a sign and potent against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away stripped and barefoot the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared, to Egypt's shame. Those who trusted in Cush and boasted in Egypt will be afraid and put to shame. In that day, the people who live on this coast will say, see what has happened to those we relied on, those we fled to for help and deliverance from the king of Assyria. How then can we escape? Well, good evening, friends. Um, good evening to all of you, and a uh, warm welcome uh, from myself to those of you who are here for the first time visiting us this evening. Um, as a church, we do believe strongly that God continues to speak to us, and he speaks to us through his word. And as people who love this Lord of ours, uh, we, we believe that he ministers to us through his word still. And so he passes to us through his word. And so as we start um, reflecting on Isaiah over the next few weeks, um, it is hard going, but it is how God ministers to us and passes to us through his word. So we want to uh, commit our time to the Lord and ask that he, he helps us. Uh, so let's do that now. We'll pray once again, and then we'll have a look at this. Heavenly Father, we, we know that your word is uh, written down for our good and for our understanding of your sovereign purposes and your goodness and who you are to us. We pray that you might give us minds that are ready to hear and to listen and hearts ready to respond in the way we should. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week uh, we started the series with a timeline. Now, I'm going to do a quick revision just to see that you remember the dates, you remember the key figures of the Old Testament. So last week we started over here and the guy that God promised to, made big promises to, was who? Abraham. And what year did he live, roughly? I expect, oh, come on. <laughs> About 2000 BC. Okay, Easy numbers to remember, round numbers. Okay, Abraham, 2000. The next key figure was 500 years later. Moses, good. So 500 years later, meaning what year now? 1500 BC, good. And then after Moses, another 500 years, was the, the greatest king over Israel around here. Who was he? David, King David, excellent. And he had a son. What was his name? Solomon. David was what year? A thousand. Solomon was what year? About 970. Okay, Solomon had many mistakes. What was his big mistake? Too many, yeah, too many wives, too many ladies, okay? 
and a thousand of them, 1,700 wives, 300 concubines, as a punishment for him, what did God do? What was the next? It was, the kingdom was split. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. Now, what year was that? 922. Excellent. We've got a man with glasses. He knows his stuff. <laughs> so 922, the kingdom was split. Now, when was the northern kingdom destroyed and by whom? What was the next person? The Assyrians. Okay, the powerful Assyrians. They destroyed the northern kingdom. And any ideas what year that was? 722, 200 years later. Okay, the northern kingdom com completely wiped out. And then 597, there was another kingdom, a superpower that defeated the Assyrians and exiled the southern kingdom of Judah. What, was they known, uh, what were they known as? Babylonians. What year was that? I thought I said it. 597. When did Isaiah come along? What year? About 740. Okay, so Isaiah is about 740, which means that he started to prophesy before the northern kingdom was destroyed and before the southern kingdom was exiled. Okay, so he's speaking to this situation in the history of Israel. Okay, so Isaiah, so that's what we've been looking at and we'll continue that. Uh, do have your Bibles open to Isaiah 19. We'll make our way through it and quite quickly we'll make our way through it. Now, as we reflect and think about this, uh, we all know that each day is a different day. Every day we have in life, they're all different, and there are days where we are to be joyful, days where we are to be sad. There are days for us to laugh, days for us to weep, days to celebrate, days to mourn. And, of course, there are also days in life, important days, to reflect. Days to reflect. Now, in this past week, there were... In fact, very important days for reflection. Now, I wonder how many of you know of these important days just this past week. Did you know what was the important date, why Monday the 17th of September was important this past week? Any ideas? Just this Monday. Someone's birthday? No, that's not important enough. But it was the Australian Citizenship Day. Anyone, knew, anyone know that? Anyone knew of that? How many of you guys are Australian citizens? <laughs> we need to take back your passports now. You don't deserve it. You did not know. No, I did not know too. But anyway, <laughs> it was a day that our government, in fact, wants the Australian people to reflect on and to celebrate being an Australian citizen. So I wonder how many of us spent Monday reflecting on that. Not many of us. I spent Monday mowing the lawn. That's very Australian. But on Monday, it was a special occasion all around Australia. There were over 60 citizenship ceremonies around our country. More than 1,700 people became citizens of Australia from 105 different countries from around the world. And at these ceremonies, they make a pledge. This is the pledge if you want to become an Australian citizen. From this time forward, under God. Notice that. I find that fascinating. It's still there. 
From this time forward, under God, I pledge my loyalty to Australia and its people, whose democratic beliefs I share, whose rights and liberties I respect, and whose laws I will uphold and obey. That is the pledge you make if you want to become an Australian citizen. And it is a good pledge, isn't it? It is a good pledge. It means that in Australia we can have such diversity, but yet all call each other Aussies and Australians. There are in fact over 300 languages spoken in our country. Such great diversity. Now I wonder whether we reflected on that this past week. I suspect not. But today I want us to do a bit of reflection. This evening. Belonging to Australia, for those of us who are Australian citizens, that's a great thing. It's not the best thing, it's a great thing. But there is something far more important than belonging to Australia, isn't there? Far more important than having an Australian passport. And that is, of course, to belong to the God of the universe. Far more important than having an Australian citizenship is to have a citizenship of heaven where our home ultimately will be. And so, in fact, this past week, there was, in fact, another important day for reflection. This past week, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish people celebrated their holiest day. Now, any idea what the holiest day of the Jewish calendar is? Good, Yom Kippur, which means? Yeah, there was a war on it. We'll talk about that later. But Yom Kippur means Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. The only day in the Jewish year in the Old Testament when the high priest was able to enter the Holy of Holies and to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. It's it's the holiest day and it was celebrated just this past week from Tuesday evening to Wednesday evening. It's a day where they, they don't really celebrate. It's in fact meant to be a solemn day of reflection. So another day of reflection, and, and the tradition of the Jewish people is that they would greet each other this day and say, may you be sealed in the book of life. Now what do you think that means? Well, the book of life, they get this idea from the scriptures, and it really means to belong to God for all eternity, that you may belong to God into eternity. And so for us as a church this evening, I'd like us to reflect on that. Who do we belong to? How is it that we, who are so different, just like in Australia, so diverse but yet united somehow, like that one song from Qantas, one whatever that song is, but how is it that we, being so diverse and so different, can belong to God? How is that at all possible? How is it that God would take any one of us in and give us citizenship in heaven we we want to be reflecting on that today because something that's very easy for a church like ours to forget is that these promises remember to abraham were not originally for us i suspect there there aren't any jewish people here there may be some of jewish descent but the vast majority of us here are called in the bible gentiles we are among the nations Not the people of God, but the nations. And what have we been learning about the nations in in Isaiah so far? Well, what we've been learning, what we started to see last week, is that it's bad news for the nations. You see, remember, Isaiah was giving a, a panoramic view of what was happening 
around the nations of the, the people of God. What was happening to them? Well, they were all idol worshippers. They bowed down to fake gods. They were proud. And last week, the Babylonians, they were haughty. They're depraved in their wicked ways and they're evil. And so what did the nations deserve from Isaiah so far? Well, they deserve judgment. And so that's for us to reflect on. We are among the nations. We are not Jewish people. We are not Israelites. We are among the nations, the Gentiles. And so what did we learn so far from the book of Isaiah? Well, there is judgment for the nations. And so Isaiah so far, he, he's giving a panoramic view of God's judgment coming upon all the nations surrounding Israel. Last week we saw, is a map, last week we saw judgment on Babylon. Bad news for them. Chapter 14, it was the Philistines. Bad news for them. Chapter 15, it was Moab. Bad news for them as well. Chapter 17, it was Damascus. Bad news for them as well. Chapter 18, Cush, down the bottom. Bad news for them. And today we're focusing on chapter 19, Egypt. And it is also bad news for them as well. And so it should get us to reflect. Isaiah is giving a panoramic view of all these nations, the Gentile nations, and it's bad news. There's judgment coming. How is it then that Gentiles can be included amongst the people of God? And so that's what we'll be looking at today. Now, as we look at chapter 19, the focus now is on the Egyptians. And like what we saw last week, when God is your enemy, you've got no chance of standing up against God. You've got no hope at all. The Babylonians last week, we saw they, they, went, they grew, went weak and limp. There was no hope. And this week, for the Egyptians, not only them getting frightened and terrified, even the gods of the Egyptians trembled in fear. Have a look at verse 1. Have your Bibles open. Verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him and the hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. And so you see here, God is coming in judgment. And the judgment we'll find out is comprehensive. God will destroy the peace in Egypt. Socially, it will be terrible. God will devastate their wealth. And so economically, it will be terrible. And God will also confuse the minds of their leaders. And so politically, it will be bad. And so have, let's have a look. Have a note, uh, notice here. The judgment of God, as we'll see, is not just something that drops out of the sky like fire and brimstone from heaven. Though that is possible if God wanted so. But the judgment here is upon their peace in their land. Their comfort is taken away. And so socially they'll be destroyed. And they'll be destroyed from within. The enemies are within the nation, not from without, but from within. And God gives them over to their own mess. Have a look now, verse 2. I'll provoke Egypt against Egypt. Each will fight against his brother and each against his friend. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. It's going to be a lot of infighting. That's the judgment of God. God's going to give them over to their mess. Now when we think about this, and as we think about history and the kingdoms that, that rose and fell in history... The tragic ways in which nations declined was when there was infighting. 
And that was the judgment of God on Egypt. And as we think about history, do, do you know how many Americans died during World War II? There were lots. Over 400,000 Americans died during World War II fighting for the Allies. But do you know how many died during their civil war? Well, it was over 620,000, even more, because both sides are Americans. See, when they're fighting each other, it is bad. And the same thing is true with China. You know how many people died in China during World War II? It was over 10 million people. But do you know how many people died in China under Mao? It was over 50 million people. You see, when it's infighting, it is bad. And what Egypt is warned of here is that they will suffer such tragedy. And because of that, they're getting desperate, we see. And who do they turn to when they're desperate? Well, they're turning to all sorts of mediums and spirits and witch doctors, and they cannot help at all because they're all fake. And so that's what we see. Look at verses 3 and 4. The Egyptians will lose heart, and I'll bring their plans to nothing. They will consult the idols and the spirits of the dead, the mediums and the spiritists. I'll hand the Egyptians over to the power of a cruel master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. And that, in fact, happened to Egypt. They were ruled over by a fierce king. It wasn't an Egyptian king who ruled them. It was, in fact, during this time, an Ethiopian king who ruled over them. They, the, the kingdom of Egypt, are now far from their glory days of the great pharaohs. No longer the superpower they used to be. And so the judgment of God on them socially, it will be bad. Their peace, comfort, gone. But not only that, so will their wealth. Their rivers will dry up, their plants will wither, their fish will disappear, their fields will be empty, their economy will be devastated. And you can sense their desperation here. Look at verses 8 to 10. The fishermen will groan and lament. All who cast hooks into the Nile, those who throw nets on the water will pine away. Those who work with comb flax will despair. The weavers of the linen will lose hope. The workers in cloth will be dejected and the wage earners will be sick at heart. You can sense their desperation. It is hopeless there. And that's what happens if your lifeblood, the Nile River, dries up. It's a bit like if we try to Reflect on that in our modern era. It's a bit like the Great Depression. None of us were, was alive back then, were alive back then in the 1930s, but the Great Depression was a terrible time in Australia. It happened after the Wall Street crash in 1929, and the Great Depression left years of high unemployment. In 1932, the unemployment rate was 32%. That is high. One in three people did not have work. There was poverty, low profits, deflation, plunging incomes, no economic growth in sight. It was hopeless for Australia at that time. But yet this is the warning for Egypt here. It will be worse. The delta and the river were long the source of Egypt's wealth and power, but it will no longer be the case. In fact, even today I did a bit of research. I found a paper by uh, Yale, Yale University. It shows that Egypt is amongst the poorest nation in the world in terms of 
water availability per capita. Even though they've got this massive Nile through the country, they're the poorest nation in the world in terms of water availability per capita. And so this really shows, doesn't it, the wealth of any nation is the kindness of God. God can give it and God in judgment can take it away. And that was the warning against Egypt. Economically, it will be bad. But it wasn't just on their peace, wasn't just on their wealth, but it was also upon their minds. You see, when your leaders have dud minds, then you'll get dud policies and a dud government and a dud country. If your leaders are, are losers, you'll get a loser of a nation. Hopefully that's not happening with our country. But here the judgment of God is upon the minds of the Egyptian leaders. They will be made fools. Look at verses 12 and 13. Where are your wise men now? Let them show you and make known what the Lord Almighty has planned against Egypt. The officials of Zoan, that's the capital of Egypt at that time, have become fools. The leaders of Memphis... Now, when I first read that, that, it's not Memphis in the US where Elvis was from. This is in Egypt. Memphis, they're deceived. The cornerstone of her peoples have led Egypt astray. And what's the outcome of that? Well, verse 15. There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm branch or reed. And so you can sense if that's what God is going to do to a country, to a nation, it is depressing. It is tragic, it is severe, it is comprehensive. And they bring it upon themselves. God just gives them over to it. There is a day of judgment for Egypt. Now Egypt here, though they're singled out, they're only really representative. Just like Babylon last week, they were representative of human pride. So Egypt here represents human idolatry and trust in wealth and human power. And all who are like them will be judged like them. And so it should make us think, doesn't it? Do you see any similarities between Egypt, what, what they're judged for here, and Australia today? Are there similarities? Is there idolatry in Australia? Of course there is. Is there a trust in wealth and human powers in Australia today? Well, of course there is. And so what that means then is it's not going to be good news. God will give us over to our folly and we'll suffer for it. And so when you think about what we've looked at so far, it's actually quite depressing for Egypt. It's depressing for nations like Egypt, for anyone like them. And so what must happen for things to turn around? It seems so despairing and hopeless. What must happen? Well, what must happen is like what this American pastor Tozer once said. We must take refuge from God in God. The only refuge from God is to be in God. If God will bring judgment, you can't get away from that. There's no hiding. What you need is God to bring salvation. The only one who can turn it around is not Egypt or any other nation. It is God. And so what that means is for things to turn around, it requires the grace and mercy of God. 
And that's the type of God God is. And that's what we go on to see. This is a complete turnaround, 180 that is done here. You see, the promise now, God promises that things will completely turn around for Egypt. And it is unbelievable here. What we see here in a series of repeating phrases, in that day, in that day, not a day of judgment now, but in the day of salvation, Egypt, they will in fact rightly fear God. They will turn to God. They will even worship God. And they'll finally belong to God. In that day, the day of salvation. And so let's have a look. Firstly, Egypt will rightly fear God one day. That is the promise of God. I mean, that is a stark contrast to the time of Moses. Remember the Pharaoh at the time of Moses? He couldn't care that the nation was being devastated by all these plagues, but yet he continued to harden his heart. Despite all the devastation, he did not fear God. But now we read, verse 16, In that day they will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand that the Lord Almighty raises against them. They will respond to God in fear, in reverent fear, and that is right. Second, we see, they will eventually turn to God himself and give their allegiance to God. Look at verse 18. In that day, five cities in Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord Almighty. I mean, that is profound. This is a Gentile nation. This is a nation that did not belong to God, but yet they will one day turn to God. But more than that, they'll even worship God on that day. Again, extraordinary. This Gentile nation who treated Israel with contempt, but now they'll worship Israel's God as their own. And this is only by the grace of God. Look at verse 21. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. This is a complete turnaround for Egypt. It is unbelievable. This Gentile nation coming to worship God. But what's even more unbelievable as we read on, is that the Assyrians themselves will also join in in worshipping God. Now the Assyrians, that is, that is extraordinary. How is that at all possible? They were known to be a ruthless nation. They will skin their enemies alive. It's no wonder why when Jonah was told, go to Nineveh in Assyria and preach the gospel to them, what did Jonah do? He went in the opposite direction. He wanted to get away. They don't deserve to hear the gospel. But yet look at verse 23 now. This is the promise of God. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. I mean, these are arch enemies and enemies of Israel. Enemies, arch enemies. So I was thinking, what is this like? I asked one of our guys here. It's probably a bit like in the footy. Not that I know much about the footy. A bit like Collingwood and Richmond, arch enemies. How can they be mates? How can they be friends? But yet here, two Gentile nations worshipping God together. But now finally, even more shocking, God says, they will belong to me. The same way Israel belongs to me. They too will be included in the book of life. 
they too will be a blessing to those in the world. I mean, that was promised to Abraham. It wasn't meant to be for the nations, but yet they will be included in that and will be a blessing. And so have a look, verses 24 and 25 now. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. I mean, he's just spoken of terrifying judgment. But now this is a complete turnaround. Unbelievable salvation for these people that were so much against God. But of course, that was what Isaiah promised. But when did it happen? Has it happened yet? Well, it is a day not yet. It certainly did not happen during Isaiah's lifetime. He only saw destruction, which continued after he died. And so well before Egypt worships God alongside the Assyrians and the Israelites, we're told in chapter 20 now, they will be shamed and humiliated by the Assyrians. Judgment will come first. And so verse 4 of chapter 20 now. So the king of Assyria will lead us away, stripped and barefoot, the Egyptian captives and Cushite exiles, young and old, with buttocks bared to Egypt's shame. And so Egypt will experience judgment at the hands of the Assyrians. And so the day of salvation for them is not yet. And so it should make us wonder, what was Isaiah speaking of here? When will this salvation come? When will Egypt, Assyria and Israel together worship God? Because even in our recent history, there has been a lot of bad blood between Egypt and Israel. I've been watching uh, uh, some documentaries and also some movies which have been informing me of the history, which I've researched to make sure that it's true. But there has been in our recent history a lot of bad blood. There, were, there was the Six-Day War when Israel fought and took the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt. And then on Yom Kippur, 45 years ago, the Yom Kippur War, when Egypt launched a surprise attack to take back the Sinai Peninsula. I mean, there, there was a lot of fighting and thousands died on both sides. But that's only in recent decades. So what is this salvation that Isaiah is speaking of? When will the nations be included among the people of God? When will Gentile nations like them be included amongst the people of God? Well, what we see as we turn to the New Testament is that it is a day that has started. Salvation has started. It is not yet complete in that the full number is not in, not yet finalized, but it has started. Now, when do you think it started? When God started to include amongst the Gentile nations as his own. When did that start for Egypt and for Assyria? Of course it started in the coming of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. That was what Isaiah was looking forward to in this passage. When Jesus came, he preached, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And the judgment that you deserve will be dealt with by God. And those who believed, who were those who believed in the Gospels? It wasn't just the Israelites who believed in Jesus. We got glimpses of how the nations were included amongst the people of God. 
In the Gospels, uh, we see the Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7. We see the centurion believing in Matthew 8. And they were glimpses of what Isaiah was looking forward to when the nations are included. And what happened to Jesus at the end? Well, he died. And why did he die? Well, it's what the Jewish people are reflecting on, or were reflecting on this past week, the Day of Atonement. That was the Day of Atonement, when Jesus bore the sin of sinners, when the judgment of God was poured on him. And then what happened after he died? Well, he came back to life, he ascended into heaven, and then there was the Pentecost. In our first reading, what happened then? Well, Jewish believers from all around the Mediterranean they became Christians when they heard the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 2, in our first reading, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They came to Jerusalem, they heard the gospel, and they believed. But where were they from? There were the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, which is Assyria, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, and Egypt. Do you see how that's a fulfilling of what Isaiah was looking forward to? When will God include the nations amongst his people? When will Egypt come in? When will Assyria come in? Well, it started then. The Jewish believers, they became Christians, and no doubt they went back to their homeland to proclaim the gospel. And so what we see is that what Isaiah was looking forward to, it started in the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. They were included in amongst the people of God. And so as we reflect over the last 2,000 years, since Jesus came, died, rose and ascended back to heaven, how have we seen salvation amongst the Egyptians? Well, tradition has it that it was Mark the Evangelist, that is, the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who took the Gospel to Egypt, to Alexandria. And Alexandria, throughout the early centuries, became the centre of Christian learning. It became a powerhouse of learning. They had the biggest library at that time. And they produced one of our, many of our great um, church fathers, like Origen and Athanasius. Now, Athanasian was a, was a guy who kept the church on track. With, perhaps without him, we would have veered off and believed in heresy. Athanasian was a big guy from Egypt. In fact, before the 11th century, Egypt used to be majority Christian. It was only after that when the Islamic conquest happened that they, they, they dropped in numbers. And so... What Isaiah was looking forward to, when will Egypt be included amongst the people of God? Well, it has started. It has started even today. In Egypt, there is the Presbyterian Church in Egypt, which can only be a good thing, right? And of course, even in our church family, if we look around, we have Egyptian Christians amongst us, brothers and sisters in Christ. We love, we serve, and we worship the same God. Salvation has started. Salvation has started. But what about the Assyrians? What happened to them? Do you know of any nation or country called Assyria today? Doesn't exist. So what happened to them? 
Well, though they do not have a land of their own, the Assyrians still exist as a people group. They live in an area in northern Iraq, part of Iran, southern Turkey, and parts of Syria. The Assyrian people, they still exist as a people group, and that's where they live. And historically, I found this fascinating. The Assyrians were the first people group to embrace and convert to Christianity. It was the Assyrians. And so Assyrians, if you meet an Assyrians, most likely they are Christian of some form. In fact, it was the Assyrian Christians who were the first to send missionaries to China in the 7th century. And so has salvation started? Well, it has. And it continues. And even today, the vast majority of Assyrians are Christians. And that's why during World War I, they suffered genocide at the hands of the Ottoman Empire. And then even recently, only four years ago, remember how there was a lot of news about ISIS in northern Iraq killing Christians and many Christians fleeing? Well, they were the Assyrian Christians. That was their area. That's where they lived. And so many became refugees and left. And today, Australia has the fourth highest Assyrian population in the Western world. I found that surprising when I discovered that. After US, Sweden and Germany, Australia has the fourth highest in the Western world. And even today, there is an Assyrian evangelical church, which is also Presbyterian in the Middle East, and that has to be a good thing, right? So salvation has started. You see what Isaiah was longing for, speaking of? If you were the first uh, people to hear that, you think, this is nonsense. How can that be possible? Egypt believing? Egyptians? Assyrians believing? That is ridiculous. But it has happened and it has started. In fact, salvation has gone beyond Egypt and Assyria, hasn't it? I mean, even if we just have a look around here amongst our church family, there are so many cultures here, so many types of Asians as well. So many nations already included amongst the people of God. And so far more important than being an Australian citizen is being a citizen of heaven, belonging to God. That's what the Jewish people were reflecting on this past week. But we who believe in Jesus, we know with certainty, are our names written in the book of life? Well, because of the grace of God, our Saviour Jesus Christ, the refuge we have in God, Jesus who did what he did on the cross for us, we know with certainty our names can be written in the book of life. It is beyond belief, but it is possible. Those of us who believe and repent, trust in Jesus as Saviour, though we are from the nations, though we are Gentiles, we can be included amongst the people of God. And so today, just like these, this past week, a few important days to reflect. Today is for us to reflect. Is this true for us? Do I belong to God as his own? Salvation has started, has spread, but has it spread to you? Do you know that this is true for you? And one day, you see, history is going somewhere, and we're given a glimpse and we want to make sure we're a part of this. And we're given this glimpse in Revelation. 
Revelation 7. After this, this is the Apostle John. After this, I look and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. One day you want to be amongst those standing before the Lamb. And then verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, that's where history is headed. That's where the future will be. Nations around the Lamb, praising the God of our salvation. And so a day for us to reflect, am I amongst those whom God has welcomed in? Am I amongst those with my name written in the book of life? Am I amongst those who, who have made that pledge to, to, to not Australia, but to Jesus? You are my king and my saviour. And what do we get? Not citizenship here, but citizenship in heaven. And so let this be a time for us to reflect, for you to reflect. And if we already belong, let that be a source of encouragement and joy. And let that also be our mission, our longing. Jesus ended the gospel saying, Make disciples of all nations. It has started, and one day all nations will know God. And we want to make sure we want to be amongst those around the throne. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it is so undeserving that people like us, among the nations, the Gentiles, who were not your people, could be included amongst your people. And so we praise you as the God of our salvation. We praise our Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the throne and the Lamb who has written our names in the Lamb's book of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.